0: All right, we are in the middle of a series on the kingdom of God, and as we look at the kingdom of God, we've been using the book of Ephesians as the backdrop to this study. We started several months ago, and there are a total of three sections in our study. The first section we called Kingdom Kids, and the Apostle Paul talks about our adoption into God's family as God's own kids, and he spends all of chapter one in the first couple of verses of chapter 2 doing that, and we called that part of our series Kingdom Kids. And then just a few weeks ago, as we see the language in Ephesians chapter 2 shift, we changed the title from Kingdom Kids to the part of the series that we're in now, which is called Kingdom Family. And what Paul has done is he's shifted the vocabulary from talking about individual Christians entering into the, the family of God to now talking about us collectively as the family of God. And we have entitled this part of our series, Kingdom Family. And so today we are looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. So I'm going to read two verses before that so we can uh, hear our passage in its context. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 we will start right now. I'll be reading and teaching primarily from the New Living Translation this morning. Verse 19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully, this is our passage today, we are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. Church, uh, the title of the sermon today is Kingdom Family Dwelling. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit. We ask You now this morning... As we open our Bibles and we open our hearts and our minds and our ears, God, we want to be led by Your Spirit and our lives directed by Your Word. We pray, Lord, that You would instruct us. We love You, God. Thank You that You have invited us into Your family. So this morning, God, we pray that we would, together as a family, seek You in Your Word by the power of Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have spent a lot of time with teenagers over the last seven months. Um, some of you probably know that I am serving, um, in addition to preaching some Sundays, I also serve as the interim a youth pastor. I'm uh, overseeing both junior high and high school ministries right now for the last seven months, and I have learned a lot about teenage social behavior in the last seven months. Um, I've learned a lot about not just teenage social behavior, but as I've learned and and just entered into these really cool relationships with these teenagers, I've learned a lot about myself as well. Uh, The most common behavior that I have witnessed, the most... uh, more than any other trait, the most shared trait probably is the striving, the desire to fit in and, and the, the desire to belong. Some kids are more obvious than others about it, but everyone's trying to fit in someplace. Some will present themselves differently, uh, maybe changing the way they speak to, to be more appealing to a, a group of kids. Some might change the way they dress or their mannerisms. Uh, You hear some groups talking about themselves and others and kind of comparing themselves. Well, it sounds like you would fit more in with these kids or more in with this kind of a kid because you're into that music or you like that movie. We're always trying to find where do we fit? Where do I belong? I'd learned as a kid that this sort of behavior was bad. We called it peer pressure. And certainly some peer pressure is bad. But in hanging around teenagers so much recently, I've seen a picture of myself and my own desires to belong and to fit in. And I like to think that I'm a little more subtle with my attempts to fit in, but I've seen a lot in the youth group, a lot of the the same shared desire to feel a sense of belonging. It seems like we all long to belong and while my observations may be objective uh, even secular psychologists say the same thing dr karen hall uh, who writes a lot for psychology today she says that a sense of belonging is a human need just like the need for food and shelter feeling that you belong is the most important is most important in seeing value in life and in coping with intensely painful emotions so even secular psychologists agree we all long to belong we long for community we long for meaning in life to be a part of something to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and in our passage today the apostle paul is saying that in christ we are collectively together we are citizens We are God's people. We are a holy temple, that we are God's dwelling. There's a lot of inclusive language, a lot of language of where the people of God belong and and how we fit together. This might sound unappealing to you, but throughout the New Testament, the common thread, as you see the early church, is that the people of God belonged together. Together whether they were scattered out doing God's work or whether they were kind of at home and and gathering. The people of God, the Apostle Paul when he was traveling, was submitted to the church gatherings that were were supporting him and encouraging him and visiting him and sending him resources. The Apostle Paul remained submitted and a member of the church, a participant in the life of the church as he went out starting churches. There was no lone ranger Christians in the New Testament. This might not sound appealing to you to hear that you should be, that you should connect into the life of a church, because many of us might either have had bad experiences in the church, or or maybe you just have a, a skewed perspective of the church. Certainly our culture seems to think that the church is outdated, that the church is irrelevant, that the church is unnecessary. Our culture would say that the church is a remnant of past generations. It's not vital or appropriate for modern life. And even some Christians, I've heard Christians recently talking about the fact that they've, they've abandoned this concept of church as being unnecessary. They want God, and they want to be, have a life that's pleasing to God, but they don't want all the trouble of church. And these are skewed perspectives that stem from a wrong understanding of what the church actually is. The church is not a building, and the church is not an organization. The church is the chosen and redeemed children of God who gather together to worship and grow. And the church is also the redeemed children of, of God who scatter to bring the love of Jesus to every nation. The church is not a building that you go to. The church is a people that you go with. The church is not a weekly event that we attend. church is a family that we participate in. And in the book of Ephesians, we have seen that the church is God's plan for gathering His kingdom kids to Himself as His family. The church is God's kingdom family. It's us coming together. And it's important for us to have a right understanding of God's kingdom. It's important for us to understand what the church is. In our study over the last few weeks, and in today's passage, Paul has used metaphor to help us understand the nature of the church and why the church is important. And we're going to spend a few minutes reviewing some of the verses that that we've been studying the last couple of weeks to lay a foundation for our passage today. So in verse 19, we saw that to be a part of the church means that you now have citizenship in God's kingdom. Citizenship, as you know, is a big deal. If you've ever flown abroad to another country, you know that citizenship is a big deal. Because as soon as you get off the airplane in another country, the citizens and the non citizens are separated, and the citizens walk out of the airport and go to their cars and get on with their life, and the non citizens are made to wait in another long line to be processed as visitors into that country. And standing in that line and enduring that process, waiting to be processed by officials in a foreign airport, is a pointed reminder that you are not a citizen. You don't belong there, right? You're visiting. And as a non-citizen, you don't have the same privileges or status or identity as a true citizen. And Paul reminds us that in Jesus, we are united in Christ together as citizens in God's kingdom. We belong with God together as citizens. That is a very powerful vocabulary. There's, there's a, a common identity that Paul is pointing out there. We are citizens. And so this imagery that we see of the church in, in this passage is we see it, uh, it, it sounds very much like an embassy of God's kingdom, the way the embassy system works in our world today. We're citizens of God's kingdom who live in Ventura County, and the church is kind of like an embassy of God's kingdom here in Ventura. And an embassy is a place in one country that is full of people from another country. And the people in the embassy, they operate under the authority and the laws of their home country. For example, the U.S. embassy in Moscow is not the people there are not bound by Russian laws, nor are they required to submit to Russian leadership. And the church is like this. It's an outpost of God's kingdom in the middle of our culture. We live in this culture, but the church operates under Jesus' authority. We live by God's laws, and we represent God's kingdom here on earth. And additionally, Paul helps us understand that the church is not just an embassy. It's not just this kind of political place. The church is also a household is the vocabulary that he draws in. And we've seen that we're adopted into God's family as His children. Right? We we took several months to study this fact and to, to rejoice in the fact that we've been adopted as children into God's household as His kids. And we're brought together not just individually to God, but we're brought together collectively to God as a kingdom family. And, And Paul's not just talking about us being brought into a house right? Like, like you might live in a house with, with roommates. Well, I've been given a room in a house, but they're, they're, it's not really much of a relationship. He's talking about us together as the church being members of God's household is the word he uses. It's, it's not a physical structure. It's more of a relational arrangement is what he's referring to. And I think what he means here is what we understand to be true. Every house has a particular dynamic, a, a unique dynamic, when you visit someone else's house, you, you sort of have to learn the dynamics of that household, right? Like, who sleeps where? In, in a household, that's, that's determined, right? It's not like, oh, the first one to the good bed gets to sleep there tonight, <laughs> right? It's not like a pack of wolves. Usually in a household, it, your stuff is kind of near where you sleep, and there's privacy, and who sleeps where, right? Who sits where at the table? I don't know if that's a thing in your house. That is a big thing at my house. Who sits where? And the kids are always wanting to rotate. And, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a dynamic in our household. Where's the trash can? And who takes it out? You know, who controls the remote? There's all these sort of, you know, power struggles within the family dynamic. The household dynamic of every family home is different. Some are very organized. Others are not. Some are run by fear or or run by shame or guilt or a domineering personality. Others are not. Some are run without a day to day authority figure. Some families don't gather around a family table. See, God's household has its own dynamic, and it's shaped by the grace and the love and the fellowship of God. And each one of us belongs, each one of us belongs in the household of God. Each one of us, in our own unique way that God has created us, we help shape the unique dynamic of God's household as family members. And so let's dig a little deeper into this. What what exactly is a household? You've all probably come to understand the difference between a house and a home, right? Or the difference between a house and a household. And here's a good example that's been very poignant to me. My, My children have only ever known a household. We have never moved since having kids. My kids have never had to experience moving into some strange house. It was 16 plus years in the same home we've lived now. We're two blocks from the hospital where all of them were born. We're seven minutes from my mom's house, which is, you know... Candy and seconds on dessert. I mean, just there's a a tight-knit family community in Ventura. My sister lives like six minutes from us, which means aunts and cousins and fun and stuff. Knowing this, you can imagine the drama in our home whenever we've tried to talk about the possibility of moving to a different house. Like, for example, one that has two bathrooms, right? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, this is life. This is where we are. This is who we are. They associate so much of who they are and their identity based on where they've lived their entire life. The family dynamic is huge. I remember once we helped a family move, close friends of ours, and um, they they have a bunch of kids, and man, packing up the kids' stuff was like, it was like doing four different funerals, right? You're just like, you know, going to the next room, and you know, just helping them pack. It was so hard for them, and by the time they're done packing, it's kind of this strange transformation. Their home felt just like a house, right? It's just this empty house. It was without personality. It was without form. It was without purpose. It's just kind of empty and and echoey now all of a sudden. And then it's even worse when you arrive at the new house because the new house is the same way. It's devoid of personality, except for now it's also strange. And so the kids are like, oh, gosh, I miss home. And it took a week to unpack them and kind of get their stuff out, get their table set up, hang some pictures on the wall. And then their routines would start. Remember going over for dinner. Like day one, it's like pizza on the floor in the living room, you know? Day three, it's like we're sitting at a table, and the kids are running around, and there's familiar sounds in the house. It no longer smells only like pizza. Now it smells like actual food. And you're like, wow, there's familiar smells and sound. Meals started happening around a table. And slowly, this house that was new and foreign became their new home, and their household was reestablished. There's significance to the vocabulary that the Apostle Paul is hanging on this idea for us as kingdom kids, as a kingdom family. He's talking about a household, which represents identity and security and belonging and fitting in, that fitting in that we long for, that that you can see clearly in teenagers. God created us to fit in to his kingdom family, to find our place in the family dynamic. This is what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be a household, and households are shaped by family dynamics. They're shaped by relationships. God's family or God's household is a good picture. It's a a good way to think about the church. This idea of a household and a family is a powerful imagery for us to consider. It's powerful because we all know that family relationships require work, don't they? I mean, realistically, if if we're to be completely honest, we'd all admit that being a part of a family is not always easy, is it? Nor is it always fun. Uh, family, I'll go so far as to say family is straight up difficult, requires hard work, and can be very messy. But I think it's, it's this difficulty and the hard work and walking through the messiness together and remaining committed as a family, that, that's what makes it such a powerful concept for us. If, if I wasn't siblings with my brother and sisters, I doubt that we would be anywhere near as close as we are in life. And believe me, I have given each of them and all of them collectively plenty of grounds to dissolve their friendship with me over the years, okay? We've had to work through some pretty thin seasons relationally. But the fact is that we're a family, and that means that we work through hard stuff. We work through complicated situations. We work through the messiness together. Why? Because we're a family. We're, we're committed to being together. And the depth of these relationships with my siblings, it's as deep as any connection I have with any other people. Not because we're easy friends and we've got everything in common. It's not because we're so similar that we just get each other. We're like finishing each other's sentences. It's not like that at all with any of my siblings. We are close friends after all these years because we are each one of us committed to the difficult, laborious, messy work of being a family. And this commitment that we have, plus our hard work, has yielded a beauty and a richness that no other friendship or no other friend group could ever replace in us. We are family. Now, this illustration gives us a picture of the rich dynamic of the household of God to which we are called in Christ. When Paul says we are called into the household of God, we, we are part of the household of God, it means something. It's not, we're not, God's not just making a building. It's good for us to see this. It's also good for us to be realistic about what it means to be part of a family because when we think and dream about the idea of family and kingdom family, we tend to be idealistic. And because it is far easier and far more common to have a theoretical understanding of community or a theoretical understanding of family or and of church, we have to give ourselves to an appropriate and right understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about a family. It is far more difficult and rare to find people who are sincerely committed to living to others, living with others in the church as family. And we should recognize that idealism, our idealistic understanding and desires, idealism kills authentic family relationship. Our desire to see relationships be just how we want them to be is the enemy of authentic relationship. Idealism kills relationship. Uh, this is this is one of the reasons in my personal opinion that statistics tell us that the average american christian will attend a church for like 3 to 5 years before moving on to another church why well i think in part because our idealistic expectations keep us from giving ourselves to the long-term family relationships We don't give ourselves to the community that would exist at every church if every one of us would just abandon our idealism and would give ourselves to the people and the family that God is growing right where you are right where you are. I don't care what church you're talking about in Ventura. God is wanting to birth this and grow this long-term committed family relationships, and He's called us to invest right where we are. Family relationships are not about a better program. They're about us committing to family relationship, us committing to sacrifice and submitting to one, one another. Unrealistic family expectation is not real family. We need to embrace the church as real, authentic family. Several years ago, a man uh, who used to attend here at Reality Ventura made an appointment with me because he wanted to make sure that I was aware of how disappointed he was that there were men in our church that sin, (laughs) basically he was worried about a lack of maturity with a group of men in the church. And he, he was so concerned about it, and, and he wanted to meet with me to make sure that I knew about this, and then he's out loud questioning whether he thought this is the church was the place for him, because there's so many immature believers, I really want to grow. I don't want my kids going to church, where guys are struggling with this or with that. And you know I encouraged him to, to pray about where he should be investing in the kingdom family. You know, I wanted to say, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be here cuz it's just easier to not deal with people that think that way, but I didn't. He he needed to commit and consider submitting himself in relationship. Yes, even to less mature believers. That's what it means to be in a family. When one of my siblings starts going off on some some crazy path or something like that, I'm going to go after him and I'm going to stick with them and our relationship isn't going to end because they make bad decisions. Why? Because we're family, right? And, and my, my other siblings would always be, I'm like, I'm like the, the person that they're like, oh, so-and-so is really struggling. Billy, you should go talk to them, you know? Like, I'm, I'm always being encouraged to go and reach out and seek that we do that with one another and for one another because we're family, and I was telling this guy, man, if God's giving you this kind of insight into th- this lack of maturity in the church, I mean, if you're looking for something to do, there's some relationships right there. He needed to invest himself in serving others and participating as a member of a family before he started ripping apart less mature brothers and sisters that live in the household. See, our expectations of what is ideal can be a real barrier for us, in attempting to walk together as kingdom family. Other people have told me that they they don't, they just don't fit in at churches, because the church should look like a hospital. Like, you know what the church should look like, Billy? The church should look like a hospital. You should just be like bringing sick people in and getting them healed. That's what the church is. The church is a hospital. And basically, the church should be a place where holy people exist to take care of, of you, right? And but the Bible doesn't describe or picture the church as a hospital. The Bible describes and talks about the church as a household. A household is very different than a hospital. Now, this does not mean that we don't care for those who are wounded. We don't nurse the weak back to health. This simply means that, the, that this care is relational. It goes both ways. See, when do we go to a hospital? We go to a hospital when we have very specific needs that we need met. We go to the hospital, we get their needs met, and then we leave the hospital. That is not at all what the family of God looks like, biblically. In the household of God's kingdom family, we receive and we give care in the context of loving family relationship. God provides a household for us where he meets our needs as a part of a family. And I think one of the biggest reasons for this is that part of our need, no matter what your needs are, no matter what you're going through in life, part of your need is always that you need to help care for others and invest in others and not just be cared for. We're made in the image of God. We're made not just just to take, but to give and to participate, relationally investing in one another. We were made for the give and take of family relationships. And so we should expect and we should give ourselves to this difficult work, this often messy work of kingdom-family relationships. And when we start really loving one another through good times and hard times, when we start forgiving one another when we've been offended, when we start investing in one another, we start caring for one another, when, when we stop expecting and we start investing into God's kingdom family, then we will start to experience and to look like the kingdom family that Jesus died for in order to create. Kingdom family requires sacrifice. This is why we're relaunching uh, community groups at the end of summer. Chad has been spending months with community group leaders, equipping them and, and pointing them to Jesus pouring this kingdom family into them to lead and to shepherd Christian community, biblical church community. Not to get people more committed to Reality Ventura or to keep everybody busier with good things. We want to see vibrant, healthy kingdom family community formed in houses throughout the week because that is the model of the church that we see in the New Testament. Big weekly gatherings as we gather together as a family on Sunday morning and house-to-house gatherings through the week. Worshiping, growing, sharing food together, ministering to one another, reaching out together, together as God's kingdom family. The church isn't meant to just gather here on Sundays. We need to walk and pray with and encourage and grow with and go out on mission with other Christians. We were created by God in the image of God for friendships that are as deep and committed as family. We're made for kingdom, family, community. And Paul takes this idea of household even a little deeper by saying that we're not just the household of God. We are also, in verse 21, the temple of God. Look at verse 21. It says, We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So we in Jesus are a temple. Now, what does that mean? What what is he getting at there? Well, in the Old Testament, we learn that the temple is the dwelling place of God. It's where God manifested His presence. And so in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be in the presence of God, you would go to the temple. That's where you would go and do your business with God. Now, this all changes in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the temple can seem uh, even confusing if you try to study what is meant by the temple of God in the New Testament, because the temple is no longer a location. It's no longer a what. In the New Testament, the temple is always a who. And we see three different ways that the temple is described as a who in the New Testament. First of all, Jesus refers to himself as the temple. John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. The Jewish leaders are, are grilling Jesus, and they demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in just three days? But when Jesus said the temple, he meant his own body, and after he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed both the Scriptures and what Jesus said. See, Jesus refers to His resurrected body, His new body, as the temple. And by this, we learn that Jesus is the dwelling place of God. After all, He was given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so, what does this mean? In the Old Testament, if you wanted to be in the presence of God, you go to the temple in Jerusalem, a physical location. After Jesus' resurrection, if you want to go to the presence of God, you go to Jesus. Jesus is the new temple, the dwelling place of God. It's not that simple cut and dry in the New Testament, though, because we're also told that our own bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So who is the temple? Is it Jesus? Is it individual Christians, as the Apostle Paul's talking about? Before I answer that, I'm going to make it even a little more confusing sounding by mentioning the third way the temple is referred to in the New Testament, and that's our passage today, that we, the church, are the temple of God. Verse Ephesians 2.21, we're carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through Him, you Gentiles, are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. So how are we to understand this? Is Jesus the temple? Are we as individuals the temple? Is the church the temple? I I think that even our passage today helps uh, sort of take the confusion away. Look at our passage closely in verse 21. It says, We are carefully joined together in Him. We're carefully joined together in Him. Becoming a holy temple for the Lord. In Jesus is who he's talking about. This is the key to understanding the presence of God and for understanding the the church for today. Jesus is the temple of God. He is God with us. And therefore, we are also temples because Christ is in us. And collectively, those of us who are in Christ, together as the church, we are the temple of God because Jesus is in us. And as we dwell in Christ, And as we're being formed into this temple, we start to take on the image of Jesus who is the cornerstone, if you remember, the cornerstone of this temple. See, God dwells with His people as a kingdom family. God dwells in and amongst the church. And this truth that we're the temple of God, it's not just a a theological reality for us as Christians. It is also a check for us. It is a good check for us to consider this and to really understand what, what implications it has for our life. Because it checks us. It gets us to consider where we go and to whom we go. Where does our allegiance lie throughout every day? Where are we worshiping with our time and our talents and our treasures? What are we worshiping with our time, our talents, and our treasure? What am I investing my life in? We are the temple of God. That means that we don't worship other gods. We are not people who worship at other temples. We are the temple of God. That means Jesus is in us. That means that that we don't put other things on the altar of our heart. We don't worship money. We don't worship treasure money and treasure and power and security and comfort. But those things really aren't the problem, though. Giving ourselves to these things, these powerless ideals, those are the problem. We may have money, and even some of you may enjoy wealth, but, but our allegiance as Christians is to Jesus, not to our wealth and our money. And, and all of us, we all have a form of security that are in our culture that people, most people in the world will never know They'll never enjoy the security and the freedoms that we have. But we must not put our hope and trust in our security or in our culture or in our government because our hope is in Jesus. Our lives are our sacrifice to the Lord. Our lives are our offerings to Jesus. And we, both individually and more clearly collectively as the church, we are His temple. It's a holy place. And this is a good time for me to remind us that this building that we are so blessed to be able to gather in every week, this building is not the church. We are the church. You are the church. This building is not the church. Technically, you don't go to church. You are the church. You gather on Sundays as the church, and then you leave from this place Sunday afternoons as the church both individually and as a family. God's presence is in us. God's presence is in us as we gather, and God's presence is in us as we scatter. We're the church. We're God's temple. We're God's dwelling place. And in our passage today, we see a a structural element to God's design of His temple. Read with me, if you would, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 20. It says, Together we are His house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now, this temple is built on the foundation of the prophets. It's, the, the prophets, it says, that's a reference to Scripture. Uh, he's talking about the prophets; those are people who spoke God's words to God's people throughout history. The words of these prophets are Scripture. This is God's Word is what he's talking about. Scripture makes witness of Jesus and is the foundation for God's temple. You've probably heard the expression that a building is only as good as its foundation. It is the same for the church. It's the same for Christian community. It's, It's only as good as its foundation. And God has given us His Word to be the foundation of the church. He's given us a good foundation. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40 that the grass withers, The flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Scripture is the foundation of the church, but Jesus is the cornerstone. All scripture points to Jesus because he is the one with all authority. Now, Dom taught last week that Jesus had torn down walls of hostility, and he's now raising up a new temple with himself. Jesus as the cornerstone of that temple, the cornerstone defining the nature of not just the foundation, but the the whole structure. Jesus is not building with stones and timber, but with people and relationships. Jesus is the one building his church. He said so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, I will build my church, Jesus says. The power of hell will not conquer it. The church is Jesus's he is the cornerstone. His Word is the foundation. He is the builder. And in verse 21, we've, we've, finally we see kind of our place in here. We are the building materials. If you look at verse 21, it says, We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. This is the architecture, the structural engineering of God's dwelling place. With Scripture as the foundation, Jesus as the cornerstone, we're the building blocks, and God's dwelling is being built by God himself. Having laid this foundation, chosen his building materials, he now chooses to dwell in this temple, this this household. This is the kingdom family dwelling of God. We are the temple of God, and we dwell together with God in the household of God as the family of God hear a lot of the vocabulary. I've kind of pulled it all together. The vocabulary we've been using these last few weeks in these passages all comes together when we start looking at this idea of a household. We're the family of God. All together. Dwelling together. And everyone is included. You look at verse 22. It says, through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. He's saying it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter if you feel near to God or far from God. It doesn't matter what you've done or or what you've not done in your life. God is drawing all peoples to himself. And this temple of God is being built by God to include all people groups, all nationalities, all ethnicities, all races, the wealthy, the poor, the young, the old. And the Apostle Paul says, even the Gentiles... Guys, that's like crazy talk, right? Even the Gentiles, those are like the, the, they, they refer to Gentiles as dogs. Those people were so far away. They would just avoid them, didn't trust them, wouldn't do business with them. Even the Gentiles are being made a part of this family. It's a beautiful picture of God calling and reaching all the nations, every tongue, tribe to himself. God does this by the power of his Spirit, and he dwells in us by the power of His Spirit. He's constructing this temple by the power of the Spirit. He's going out and reaching the nations to bring children to Himself as the very building materials for His household. And today, God is building and He is dwelling in this temple. He is in us, bringing us together as a kingdom family, dwelling with us. And He's drawing every tongue, tribe, and nation, even Gentiles, to himself and engineering us together in Jesus. And so we together in Christ on the Word of God, joined together by Jesus, we are God's dwelling. We are his holy temple. This is massive, church. Uh, the, temple, the temple was where people would go to be near God. He's saying we're the temple. The temple is where people would go to be made right with God, to sacrifice with God. It's where people would come to God for forgiveness. It's where they would go for blessing. The temple is what identified God's people. They looked to the temple. It it defined their culture. It defined their calendar. It defined what they wore, the law and the application of the law. The temple was huge. It was a big, massive, complex, this physical reminder of where God is. And people had to travel from wherever they were to the temple to do this business with God. What the Apostle Paul is saying in our passage today is God is now doing all of this work of intimacy and access through His people, His kingdom family. Brothers and sisters, you, we are the temple of God. We go. We bring the peace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God with us into the relationships, out into our culture, out into our jobs and the workplaces. God is in us. He is with us, and we now go to all peoples and bring the presence of God to them. It's a beautiful picture. People no longer have to travel to Jerusalem to be near the presence of God. Now, the presence of God is is pushed out into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit and the desire of of the Father for all people to come to Him. We now go, as the temple, out to the people. Church, we are God's kingdom family. And God dwells in us. We are the dwelling place of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word and for this passage and just the the powerful implications that are in here, Lord. So now, God, I pray by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would move information down into a place of transformation in our hearts that you would move the idea of family in our minds down into the work of being family into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be together even the, the temple of God. We want to look and sound and love like Jesus. We pray this morning, God, that You would move within our hearts, that we would change course where course correction is needed, that we would turn around where turning around is needed, that we would take a step of faith, that we would invest in others. Say, God, we, we love you, and we love your kingdom, this idea that we are brought together to the Father in Christ. Today, some of us may be resisting the work of God to build your life into the kingdom family dwelling of God. Maybe you're balking at the idea of becoming family with more people. Maybe your family has been drama enough for you and you're like, no, thank you. This morning, you need to hear that God, God has made a place where you belong. There is a place where you fit. This morning, God is inviting you into his loving family. This is a well-led family by the Father. Together we get to enjoy Jesus as the very dwelling place of God. Let's respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives as as we worship God today. The communion elements are up front here for us to have a, a tangible reminder and a tangible experience of the broken body and spilled blood of Jesus on the cross. The carpets are up here this morning to assume a posture of worship and submission before God. There'll be men and women on either side that are here to pray for you, they are ready to pray for you if you need prayer. But church, let's, let's respond to God. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to really move His Word into our hearts.